morning, church. Welcome to worship. Do me a favor. Thanks to technology, we're joined today by two other campuses and, who knows, some folks online. Would you welcome them to worship with us today? Now, take your copy of God's Word, however you have that, in print form or if it's on a device, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Just a few moments, we'll pick up reading in verse 38. But first, question. Let me see your hand if anyone, that's anyone on the planet, has ever been mean to you. Let me see your hand. All right. It's our first unanimous vote. That's awesome. Yeah, we've all had people treat us in ways that just don't seem right and sometimes even seem unfair, whether that's the classroom or the schoolyard bully or it's that obnoxious uncle at the Thanksgiving or Christmas family gathering, or whether that's the narcissist at the workplace. What do you do? What do you do when someone is mean to you? Do you give them what's coming to them? Do you unload and let them know what you really think? <laughs> One of my college boys called me last night. Daddy, what are you preaching on tomorrow. I said, I'm, I'm talking about what do you do when people are mean to you? And he said, well, here's a thought. You could just list their names in the message and put it on the screens. <laughs> and then he said, but you probably should write a resignation letter too. So yeah, yeah, that's not an option. I mean, some of these things that are gut response that may be the ways of the world and frankly, ways that probably all of us have responded throughout our lives, they are not the way of Jesus. And there's a passage in Scripture where the ways of Jesus are clearly outlined for us. We know as Christ followers, we don't have the liberty to be unkind. But we do have instructions about how to act when people are unkind to us. Jesus deals with that in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we get to that passage, let me just bring you up to speed. Sermon on the Mount starts with that series of blessed. Blessed are you if. The, we call it the Beatitudes. And it's, it's the life path that Jesus gives us in, into a life that is flourishing. If you want to know how to live, just read those verses, the Beatitudes. And it'll show you just the way of Jesus that breathes exuberance into you. And then Jesus gives us our why. And if you don't know your why, you need to know your why. Why are you here? Why as a Christ follower are we still here? Why didn't God just zap us up to heaven and, and take us out of this own miserable earth and allow us to experience his goodness? Why does he leave us here? And he tells us we're to be his salt. We're to be his light. We're to make a difference right where we are living for him. And then he shows us his way, the Jesus way. And he spends a, a lot of this sermon just in different ways showing us again and again what it looks like to walk as Jesus walked. Now, before he gets into that, he gives us what seems like an impossible goal. We've already covered it, so let me back up and, and go to verse 20 and just remind you of that, because it's kind of shocking 
This is what he says. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we're thinking, we're in trouble because we can't do that, right? But that's his point. You can't do this without his help. That's why Jesus, the only person who's ever lived, whose righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's why he died on your behalf, on my behalf, so that in looking to him and in going through him, we can have what we would never have any other way. That's kind of what I want you to hold on to as we walk into this next passage of Scripture. Jesus has been giving us what theologians call the antithesis. You have always heard this, but let me really explain it to you my way. In other words, you've always heard you, you shall not murder. True, don't do that. But I tell you, you know, even in your anger, even the words you say to someone else, you may, have, may as well have committed murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Right, don't do that. It'll mess a lot up, but I'm telling you, even when you have lust in your heart. And, and he goes on and on and on just telling us these things that we may know but that are kind of hard to stomach. I feel like Mark Twain, the great wise Mark Twain once said this about the Bible. I have no problem with those parts of the Bible I don't understand. It's those parts of the Bible I do understand that gives me fits. This is one of those passages. This is not going to be Hard to understand the words of Jesus. But I suspect it's going to give us a fit. So let's hear what he says. Beginning verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors doing that. If you greet only your own people, what what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want us to pray one more time, but I want you to pray, God, just help me to receive these words of Jesus. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And that is our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus, you spoke these words. Give us ears to hear, hearts and minds that are receptive. Teach us and mold us and shape us and make us more like you. Lord, we desire that there would be more of you, Jesus, because we've met together. We desire that 
you would so impact our hearts that we would surrender and where change is needed, it would, it would take place because your spirit, you Holy Spirit have convicted us and, and we, we want that change. And, and so Lord, meet us here. Fill us. And Lord, I would pray very specifically that the words I say and even my thoughts would be of you. Hide me behind you, Jesus. We need this. So speak. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Jesus is reminding us that when we live his way, it really does change everything. There's a lot of talk today about deconstructing our faith. And people use that to describe walking away from Christianity. The truth is Jesus was deconstructing what people understood about their faith in this message, the Sermon on the Mount. But he was reconstructing it in his image. And I would suggest to some of you, if you allow me, with kind of a prophetic voice, I would suggest some of you probably need to deconstruct some things in your past. Some, deconstruct some things in the way you look at your faith. Maybe you've looked at it in a way of legalism. Or maybe you've looked at it in a way of experientialism. In other words, my faith was about these things that I do. Or my faith was about just how I feel. Some of you have, have looked at your faith in terms of politicism. And, and so faith to you is about being a good American. About being nationalistic. Others of you, you, you look at your, your faith and it's all about churchism. You, you think, if I show up at church and I check the boxes and I'm good with God. And, and, and you need to deconstruct from those ways of thinking. And reconstruct into the biblical image of what the way of Jesus looks like. And that's all Jesus is saying in this message. There's a different way that you need to think about the people around you and how they treat you. In, in other words, he's saying that in every aspect of your life, the Jesus way, the, the kingdom lifestyle should affect you. And so I would just challenge you today. The gospel's effect on you should affect every aspect of your life in every area of the world in which you live. You, you can't be a nominal Christian a Christian in name only, and, and live the Jesus way. And so this passage and this message and, and these words of Jesus push us out of that comfort zone, and he does that with four simple principles that we can apply to our lives. Here's the first one. We must learn to prioritize grace. We must learn to prioritize grace in the way that we see people, in the way we interact with people. In the way we love, in the way we lead, we must prioritize grace. That's different from the world's way. Jesus' way always is. The world is about fairness, right? That's not fair. But the Jesus way is driven by grace. So he starts with a simple statement that he's going to illustrate in four ways. But what's the simple statement? You've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. What's he talking about? It's pretty interesting when you dig a little deeper because he's quoting from the Old Testament. It's found in Exodus. It's also found in Leviticus. This is a passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 24, 19. 
Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now, why would God give us this passage in the Old Testament? Why did he give the children of Israel this? It's simply because he was afraid they were going to annihilate the world. Because of our sin... What happens when someone does something wrong to us? We want payback. We want to give them what they deserve. And so literally people were killing each other. That's what I grew up with. I grew up uh, in the 70s and 80s during the Cold War thinking that it's possible that some crazy person in Russia could, could press a button and then other buttons would be pressed around the world and we would all die just because the world annihilates itself. So God set up this principle. We're not going to do that, he said. If someone puts out an eye, you can take their eye. But that's it. Stop at the eye. If, if they knock out your tooth, you can take their tooth, but stop at the tooth. Jesus was saying there's a better way. Say there's a better way. The Jesus way is always a better way. And I'm so thankful because it makes you look a lot better. Because some of you deserve to have eyes plucked out and teeth knocked out, right? We would be a blind and toothless people if it were not for these words of Jesus in this passage. Jesus is saying no. I want you to see this a little differently. So he talks about a slap, he talks about a coat, he talks about a walk, and then he talks about an ask. Let's first start with the slap. One of the most familiar verses in the Bible. We just refer to it this way, turn the other, turn the other cheek. Jesus says if someone slaps you, um, you turn to them the other side of your face, the other cheek. What in the world? What was he saying? Well, it, it, you have to understand what the slap was. The, the slap was not really intended to inflict bodily harm. The slap was an insult. Right? We saw this. I, some of us saw it live. If you're watching the awards show, famous actor named Will Smith. He walks up to a, a famous comedian, Chris Rock, and what does he do? He slaps him, and then he turns around and walks off. Now, I've seen Will Smith in action movies. If he would have wanted to fight, he could have fought right then. He could have punched him in the gut. He could have punched him in the face, but he slapped him, and he walked off. Why? What was his point, whether it was right or wrong? His point was, I'm, I'm attacking your character. I'm attacking your reputation. And that's what was being applied in this passage of Scripture. It was all about character. It was an attack on honor. Has that ever happened to you? Some, somebody said something about you that wasn't true? That could hurt you? That could hurt your reputation? The fact that Jesus says this implies that that very possibly can happen in our lives. So what do you do? You respond in such a way... That the people see the character of Jesus in you. I don't know about you, but God's still working on me in this area. That's hard, isn't it? Our tendency is to bow up. 
our, our tendency is to step, step back and defend ourselves and to say, that's not true. And yet Jesus says, no. Be more concerned about God's character than your character. So let me just ask you a question before we go to the second thing. Are, are you more concerned about God's reputation or yours? If people follow you around for a week, do they see that you are focused on the character of God? And then we have a, a suit, a lawsuit. And he says, hey, if someone sues you to take your shirt, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and give them your coat. Now, what was the significance of that? The coat was extra. You didn't have to give him the coat. In, in fact, the coat was significant for anyone wearing a coat because it wasn't just a covering of their clothes. The coat was what they used for bedding in the evening. And yet he was saying, give that up. Why? Because I want you to live in such a way that you trust God to meet the needs for your stuff. Oh, church, I'm just telling you, I've been around us all my life. Sometimes, that, sometimes that's a default for me. Sometimes that, that makes me a little too churchy. But because I've been around people like us, because I've been around church people all my life, I know this, we worry about our stuff way too much. And so we're not giving to others because we're afraid we won't have the stuff. And what Jesus is saying you trust me that I'm going to give you another coat if you need another coat. I'm going to provide. Do you believe scripture where it says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus? Do you believe that, church? That's what it says. So the first was an attack on his character. This is an attack on his comfort. Are you willing to turn your comfort over to the Lord? And I'm just telling you, most church people aren't. When it comes to our comfort, we're saying, God, I'll give you everything except what makes me comfortable. The principle is that God is saying he wants to be your enough. I read even this morning in the book of James that every good and every perfect gift is flowing down from where? The Father of lights. Your heavenly Father has given you every good thing in your life. That paycheck... It came first through him. That house you live in, it came through him. That car that you've been paying for and going to pay for for the next 13 years, it came through him. You've got to acknowledge that. Everything comes through him. And then he gives us another familiar passage of scripture. He challenges us about the extra mile. So he says, um, hey, if someone makes you go a mile, go with them. All right, so the principle here, Israel was under Roman occupation. That's just a historical fact. The Roman government were there. Guards were all around. A Roman guard could come up to an Israeli citizen at any time and say, hey, I, I want you to do this for me. And they were required just to say yes and do that for a thousand meters, a thousand steps, which was about a mile. We have a biblical example of that. Do you, you know the Romans were sending Jesus to the cross, right? Jesus is carrying his cross. He begins to fall down. So it's the Roman guard who turns to Simon. And what does he say? Carry the cross. And he has to do it. He doesn't do it out of the, just the goodness of his heart. He has to do it. 
What this is saying is when you're told to go that first mile, be willing to be a second miler. Be willing to be the person that says, okay, I'll just do it. So hear this clearly. This was something they were compelled to do. But he's saying, even when you are compelled to do something that you didn't originally want to do, be willing to go forward in such a way that the character of God is evident in your life. This was an attack on their conduct. So just think of what he's going through. He's attacked the character. He's attacked the comfort. Now he's attacking the conduct. And he's saying, live in such a way that you conduct yourself through your actions that people see that you belong to God. And then he challenges the area of generosity. Because he says, if you see someone that asks you for something, just give it. Do you do that? Or every time you see that person at the intersection or that sign being held as you drive out of a parking lot, are you just filled with cynicism and think, they probably make more than I do? I can tell you this, regardless of what their current life setting is that puts them in this place, none of the people that you see on the streets, none of them in third grade were saying, man, I sure hope I can be a street beggar when I grow up. That's why I'm challenged, challenged by this verse that I saw my father-in-law live out and he reminded me of, man, probably 30 years ago. I read it this week in, in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Where did you entertain angels unaware this week? Or when the angels were around you, did you just thumb your nose at them? Or turn the other way? See, all of this Jesus is saying, when you live my way, your character is reflecting the character of God. So throughout the New Testament, when people were with Jesus, the Bible tells us that the people around them could say, wow, it's evident we have been with Jesus. Church, we got to do better on this. Do you know that all my life, people that have served tables, waiters and waitresses, they've said that the worst time of the week for getting tips was Sunday after church when the church people came in? That doesn't seem like it was saying, man, they've been with Jesus. Man, you're never more like Jesus than when you're generous and when you give. And, and this is what Jesus was trying to say. There's a difference that can be made. Jesus is the better way. So hear this, church. Jesus is greater than your honor. Jesus is greater than your stuff. Jesus is greater than your time. Jesus is greater than your comfort. Jesus is greater. Some of you would say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. I worked hard. Or I shouldn't be treated that way. I would just tell you, we're consumed by fairness, but as Christ's followers, we're not governed by fairness. We're governed by grace. And by the way, can I give you a little newsflash? You don't want fair. Do you hear me on this side? You don't want fair. 
You know what's fair, what's just? You know what we deserve? The Bible puts it this way. The wages of sin is death. But listen to what it says in Romans 5. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For a while, if we were God's enemies, raise your hand if you were God's enemy. Better raise your hand. That's all of us. Raise your hand. We're all God's enemies. That's what we were. The Bible says because of sin, you were at enmity with God. You were in a fight with God. You were at war with God. We were reconciled to him, though, through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Aren't you grateful that God doesn't give us what we deserve? He gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace. So we want to show grace. There's a great illustration of this in the novel Les Mis. I've seen the movie. I've also seen the Broadway production. What an incredible story. Um, it's about the life of Jean Valjean. Now, some of you didn't know I was fluent in French, so let me just say that again. Jean Valjean. He's this kind of street beggar that has, uh, he's given a chance for redemption. And he, he's brought into the home of this bishop. And everything about him begins to change. He begins to look different. He, he begins to act different. But he hasn't truly changed. And so what we find out is that he steals from the bishop. He steals some silver from the bishop. And he leaves. And the police find him. <laughs> and they recognize the silver. And they know he's a thief because they recognize him. And, and so they bring him in chains to the bishop. And they say, we found your silver. This is your silver. This man has taken this from you. But the twist takes place when you see the response of the bishop. Watch this. That is right. But my friend... You left so early, surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, lasst ihn gehen. Was dieser Mann sagt, trifft zu. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing, girl. But remember this, my brother. See you this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. Did you understand what happened? 
The bishop said, oh, you're right, that's my silver. But he didn't take everything he was supposed to. Here's some more that he left behind. Here's the silver I want him to have too. So they let him go. And then the bishop was able to say, see the difference that grace makes? That's what I want for you. Learn to prioritize grace. Number two, this is simple. We must live with an attitude of peace. Live with an attitude of peace. That's, that's verses 43 and, and verses 44. Did you catch what it says? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Did Jesus' way is different? The, le- the Jesus' way is to look for peace where there should be war. We should be at war with our enemies, right? They're our enemies. We should be fighting. But the Jesus way is a way of peace. And we know this because it's not just the words of Jesus. It's the life of early Christians. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, say as far as it depends on me. He said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, repay, declares the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. You see, the message of the cross is that God, in his great love, reconciled us who were at enmity with him. And that peace with God changes us. And it's that peace with God that gives us the ability to be at peace with other people. I want you to hear me very clearly because we're entering into a season that is scaring me to death. It's called election season. If you're a Christ follower, you're to be a person of peace. And that's counterculture in our day. Every news station you turn on, I don't care which you turn on, every news station is going to tell you something different. Half of it's not even truth. And it's designed to to get you to bow up and to be mad at somebody. To be against this political party or that political party or this activity or, or that activity and to fight. I'm not saying that the Christian life is always a life of pacifism because it's not. But it is a life of making peace where the world is pushing you to fight. I think that's pretty simple. Learn to prioritize grace. Live with an attitude of peace. Thirdly, look for opportunities to pray. Love your enemies. And then he says something crazy. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, most of us have not experienced persecution. We have people in our church who have family members who have been thrown in jail in other countries because of their faith. But most of us, not so much. It's not persecution when you don't get the parking spot you want at Publix. 
It's not even persecution when you don't feel like you can pray the way you want in a public school. That's not persecution. But there is persecution around the world. More Christ followers will die for their faith this year than any time in history. There's persecution. And, and Jesus, God, says, pray for those who are persecuting. Pray for your enemies. Most of us have enemies. Might not call them that. You know who's coming to your mind when I say that word? You need some help? Is it the ex? That person that may have rejected you? That person that walked away from their commitment to you and God? Is it that person that may have abused you or caused pain in your life? That employer or employee that hurts you? Is that family member that's just stopped talking to you? Is that that friend that got mad about something dumb and walked away? The Bible says pray for that person. Now, why is that so important? Why do you have to do that? Why can't somebody else do that? Here's why. It's impossible to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness and also experience the peace and the hopefulness that comes from the grace-filled life of Jesus. That's a long sentence, but it's a powerful one. Let me say it again. It's impossible to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness and at the same time experience the peace and the hopefulness that comes from the grace-filled life of Jesus. So I would be a terrible teacher if I didn't give you an opportunity to act on what I just taught. So would you bow your head right now? You've got that person's name in your mind? That person you're struggling with? Would you pray for them? Would you pray that they would be drawn close to God? Would you pray that they would know the hope of Jesus? Would you pray that they would have peace with God? They'll never have peace with others until they have peace with God. And then would you pray that God would make you a forgiving friend? So Father, that's my prayer in Jesus' name in my life. God, I, I don't really have folks that I would call enemies. But I do have relationships that are broken. God, I pray that in my life and for those that I would think of in this way, that you would draw them close to you. And I pray for peace and reconciliation in the name of Jesus. And Lord, like many in this room, if, if a relationship and actual reconciliation is not possible, I pray that you would give us peace with you to know we're, we're walking through this the Jesus way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, Jesus ends this challenge with another illogical, impossible ask. He says we must long for perfection in our faith. I remember as a child hearing this verse and again just being stumped because it says, be, in the way I learned it, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What? I can't. Bingo. You can't. Now, there's a little bit of a clarification here. That word perfect in this context doesn't mean sinless. It does mean mature. But you can't even be the mature person God wants you to be. But by the grace of Jesus. So that's where he comes in. <laughs> Remember what I said a few minutes ago? Jesus is greater than your honor. Jesus is greater than your stuff. Jesus is greater than your time. Jesus is greater than your comfort. Jesus is the better way. So let me show you something. Jesus did what we couldn't do. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has come, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about what Jesus did for us as you think about what I've asked you to do, living the Jesus way. Number one, Jesus showed us grace. Aren't you thankful for that? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of your works, not of yourself, because we would boast. It's all about him. Jesus made peace between us and God. Aren't you thankful for that? But here's a great one. Jesus prays for you. Listen to what it says in 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you'll not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You know what an advocate is? It's your attorney. Jesus is on retainer if you're a Christian. And so when you blow it, which you did probably already this morning, but you will later today when you blow it, this is what it says. The Son of God is going to the Father God on your behalf. He's saying, oh, Father, you know Paul. <laughs> He's one of your children, my brother. He blew it again, but he's covered in my blood. Isn't that good, church? And then sometimes when you don't even know what to pray, that's when the Holy Spirit jumps in. Romans 8, 28, 26 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes. All this to say, Jesus did what we could not do so that we can have what only Jesus could give. Jesus just wants us to walk his way. So let's choose to live the Jesus way. It's going to be hard. Can't do it but by his grace. But you can do it. I love G.K. Chesterton. 
one of his statements is that the Christian ideal has not been found, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Some of you know what, what you need to do in regards to this in your life. Now you just need to do it. Try the difficult for the glory of God. We're here today in this nation because of one man who repeatedly took the difficult path. Shortly before the battles ended for the American Revolution, but before the peace was negotiated, George Washington was with his troops in New York. But they began to grow very uneasy. Do you know why? They weren't getting paid, which was not fair. And General George Washington had gone to the Continental Congress and he had told them to pay the troops and the Congress didn't do it. They refused. Some of the officers began to organize a rebellion. And they actually planned an attack on what was in the capital of the government, Philadelphia. And they were just going to start a rebellion that would lead the nation to be led by the army. So the fate of America was in the balance. And George Washington, General George Washington, made a surprise appearance before those troops, the officers. He praised them for their service. He honored their sacrifice. And then he reached into his pocket and pulled out a crumpled up piece of paper to read a speech that he had prepared for the moment. But as he looked, he realized that was insufficient. So he reached back into his pocket and he put on a pair of glasses that no one had ever seen him wear. And he said to the soldiers, I've already grown gray in the service to my country. And now I'm going blind. Historian Richard Norton Smith wrote, Instantly the rebellion melted into tears. It was a galvanizing, a galvanizing moment. And the rebellion was put down because they saw before them one who had walked the difficult path. Becoming a Christ follower is easy. But being and living as a Christ follower can sometimes be difficult. But the Jesus way demands that we do the difficult, right? So here's what I would say to you. Turn the other cheek. Give your coat also. Go the extra mile. And look for opportunities to be generous. And that will be for your good and his glory. And that's the Jesus way. Let's bow our heads. So a lot of us are Christ followers here and um, and we just probably need to make some adjustments. I don't know what it is. I'm not reading your mail. But you heard the words of Jesus. And if it's applicable, apply it. And make the necessary adjustments in your life by His grace. Just Maybe you just need to say, Lord Jesus, I need more grace. I need more grace to live this out your way. But somebody's heard these words and you've never once followed Jesus. 
You've heard me talk about the way of Jesus, but you need to begin life with Jesus. And life with Jesus doesn't begin by doing these things. Life with Jesus begins when you recognize your need for him as a sinner, where you confess those sins to God, acknowledging your desperation for him. When you believe that Jesus died for your sin, when you repent of your sin, and you turn to Jesus and follow him. If you've never taken that step, would you consider doing so today? It's simple. Just do what I've just said. Maybe pray this prayer. Just you and him. Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. Just tell him that. I know what I deserve. But I believe you died for me. I believe you're alive today. So I'm looking to you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I'm turning to you. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. So in this moment, I'm asking you to save me. you ask that sincerely he did so just say thank you say thank you Jesus and Jesus you are that savior but you're also the example for us so God, the, the, the truth is most of us as Christ followers we just need to we need to commit to living our life more like the Jesus way. That's my prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. So, Lord, give us a few minutes where we can just focus on who you are, Jesus. We know you're here. We've sensed your presence. You're in this place. Just continue to work. Show us that you're going to make a way. Show us that you're going to keep your promises. Show us that you're going to shine light when the world around us seems dark. Lord, do this for your glory, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with us? Let's worship him right now. Would you do that? You are here.